I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Mothman. Who is the Mothman? He's a creature that has been lurking in the forests of the American heartland and in our imaginations. He's a legend of a purported bipedal winged creature that has, if you believe it, presaged just about every massive tragedy or historical event over the past 50 years. Where was our warning about COVID, you piece of shit? Fuck you, Mothman. Act 1. Richard Gere, the Mothman, and a construction worker who's currently employed building a bridge, walk into a bar. The legend of the Mothman was born in West Virginia in 1966, when a seven-foot-tall creature with a massive wingspan was spotted in the town of Point Pleasant. In the years since, this piece of local folklore has taken flight and become a global mystery. On November 15, 1966, Roger and Linda Scarberry and their mutual friends Steve and Mary Millette were driving through an area of Point Pleasant referred to as the TNT, named for the World War II manufacturing plant located in the area. As their car sped through the murky darkness of the forest, they chanced upon something that would change their lives forever. The Scarberry's headlights revealed a large gray creature with red glowing eyes and a massive wingspan. The creature had stopped in the middle of the road and quickly turned its head to stare in a foreboding glance at the oncoming vehicle. As the car veered to avoid hitting it, the creature flew off into the nearby swamplands. The car screeched to a halt, almost careening off the road and into the trees. Shocked, the four people sat in stunned silence for a moment, and then Steve Mallet, hearing something, looked out of the rearview window of the car and claims that he saw those large, red, glowing eyes of the creature zooming down the road towards them. Roger stepped on the gas, jolting the car forward. The creature gave chase as the vehicle steadily increased its speed. Roger eventually claimed that he was driving as fast as the car could go, nearly 100 miles per hour. But the flying creature kept up. That is, until the car left the TNT and the creature just disappeared into the night. The two couples were understandably very shaken by this experience and spent the next few days telling everyone what they had seen. They tried to convince the townspeople of Point Pleasant that their story was true and they had in fact witnessed a massive flying red-eyed creature that had chased their car at over 100 miles per hour. Over the next few days, other Point Pleasant residents claimed to witness this winged creature as well. From brief glances in the distance to full-on face-to-face confrontations, two volunteer firefighters, a city contractor named Newell Partridge, and a few others all came forward with stories. It was around this time that the tales of the bizarre creature began to take on a life of their own. People started reported seeing the creature outside of Point Pleasant, indeed all over the Midwest. The stories went whatever the 60s equivalent of viral was, perhaps mostly due to the fact that, in a published story about the sightings of the creature, an Ohio newspaper coined the term Mothman. Back in the 60s, viral was called Mind Polio. <laughs> God, that's fucked. Um, 
So before we get into the the you know the the, the depths and the, the kookiness of of this too deeply, um, I'm curious what your exposure to the Mothman was prior to us doing this. Were you a Mothman fan? Did you do you? I mean, let me rephrase the question, Papa Pricey. Dost thou thinketh this moth spooky bitch is real? I mean, I think saying whether I think this is real or not is a, is a bit of a spoiler for just the rest of the episode. Okay. Well, then, do, were you interested in the Mothman? Did you like the Mothman prior? For sure. Yeah, 100%. My exposure to the Mothman was... I don't remember exactly what came first. I... As we'll talk about later, we're going to talk about the movie, but I saw the Mothman prophecies in movie theaters. So it was back in 2002. I saw this in the theater. I remember that we also rented it when it came out, which was not necessarily a indication that we thought the movie was really good. I think it's just, you know, you tended to do that back in the day. There was fewer things to do. So your life didn't get sucked away because of social media just sitting there scrolling infinitely. You had to. You had to rent movies. I have to watch Mothman prophecies twice. I have to go to the theater with my dad over the weekend and watch Mask of Zorro and then come home on Sunday and then go with my mom to see Mask of Zorro the next day and fall asleep in the movie theater because I already saw it the day before. How familiar were you when you like, were, did you go deep? Did you, how familiar are you, are you with? Yeah, well, that was, that, that's what I was saying is I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember like what came first. I don't know. I don't remember if I saw that movie first or if I had seen, I had read stuff about it previously, but I mean, back, back in in those days, my only connection with learning about these things was checking out books from the library. So reading random books about like Greek mythology or, you know, random cryptid creatures or whatever it was. And at some point I had read a book that contained stuff about Mothman. And I can't remember if it came before or after I saw that movie. The Mothman was interesting to me because it almost was scarier because a lot of other like ghost stories and cryptid stories feature some element of like imminent threat to the people involved. Like an alien will abduct you and perform experiments on you or take you forever. And, you know, a lot of these monsters, they'll like eat you or kill you or whatever. But the Mothman was like almost scarier because it was like it you don't know what its intentions are. Like it's not trying to kill you. It's like just there. And then it gives you like a, a, a fucking foreboding prophecy about the future. And for some reason that the fact that it wasn't like, oh, I'm just a monster that wants to kill you. It was like even scarier to me. And the Mothman like really freaked me out. Prior to investigating this and learning more about it, which now I'm like super into the Mothman, but prior, I didn't really have a lot of connection to him for one reason or another. It was just kind of like, it was a thing I was aware of, but I think in my head, for some reason, I thought the Mothman was the Jersey Devil. Like, I thought they were kind of the same thing, like Sasquatch and Bigfoot, Um, but they are very much not, and... I've never, eh, we'll get to that later. Yeah. So I, it's, it's interesting. The, the, the stuff that we're going to cover in this is actually way more interesting than I had necessarily thought that it might be initially. I, I just remember reading a story within a bigger book of what I now know are cryptids, but at the time I just thought were like urban legend monsters about the Mothman, just the basic story of it. And I remember it just, it just haunting me because I'm like, what, what does it want? What is its intentions? Then that just, 
freaked me the fuck out. Initially, the Mothman moniker confused people because in some stories, the creature was called a Birdman. In fact, a rival paper, the Beckley Herald Dispatch, had tried to rename the character the Mason Bird Monster in a piece written by journalist Ralph Turner and published in November of 1966. However, the Mason Bird Monster never really caught on. Hey mom, can we stop and get some Mothman? We have Mothman at home. Mothman at home. The Mason Bird Monster. (laughs) It's... That's such a shitty name. The fact that these sightings described a bird man wasn't actually true of the origins of its catchy name. As an unknown copy editor at the previously mentioned newspaper named him the Mothman after a villain on the popular 1966 Batman TV show, The Killer Moth. Killer Moth would later go on to be renamed Charaxis in the comics. Basically, people in this fucking car, they're going down the fucking swamplands, driving, having a good time. Low-key, they're probably swingers. There's four of them in a car late at night. Why would you be there? They're trying to get they're trying to get their fuck on. So they're driving. And then one of them is like, oh my god, what is that in the street? Or the road that's dimly lit. It's a giant bird-like monster. Definitely not just a bird. Totally not just a bird. Totally not just a large bird during a time when less information about science and nature was generally broadly known. There's no way that it could be some sort of stork. There's no way that in West Virginia marshland that there's any sort of wildlife. Those motherfuckers back in the 1700s saw manatees and were like, that's a hot girl. <laughs> they were your eyes play tricks on you when you're in precarious situations that's all i'm saying yeah so there's and also like when you look at what okay so it, it's identifying characteristics are that it has a large size wings and red glowing eyes birds like cats have eyes that reflect light so if you shine light at a bird's eyes late at night they glow red because the blood vessels inside their eyes catch the light and reflect it back. Yeah, and we, and we have some kind of thing in our eye that prevents that from happening. Yeah, so humans, yeah. Um, so there's no possible way that the Mothman, who was actually the Mason bird monster, who was actually probably just a definitely not, mo- not definitely not a bird. There's no way it was a bird. So they see it, it catches on, a bunch of people in the local town, Point Pleasant, start either playing along or they also just forget what the fuck birds are. They start seeing all these sightings. A newspaper across the state line, across the Mason line, uh, Mason River, I think, maybe is the dividing line between two of those states. I don't know. I'm from Arizona. We don't have schools there. Um, and this in a neighboring county in another state names the monster the Mothman because they think, oh, it's like just some stupid urban folklore. Like, I'll just fuck it. He's a I watched an episode of Batman last night where they had this moth. That's kind of cool. Bird monsters. Eh, been there, done that. Moth monster. Interesting. So they rebrand it. It sticks kind of goes viral and um i just think it is so funny that he's fucking named after the killer moth aka charaxis from batman i just think that's so fucking funny what if he had just been like watching bewitched instead and then it was called the uh the paul lind neighbor yeah, character? It, was, it was just called it was just called paul lind <laughs> welcome to deep cuts on this episode we were talking about the paul lind monster <laughs> I'm here to tell you about some horrible tragedies that are gonna transpire in the near future. We'd be living in a whole different world that if that journalist was watching Bewitched. 
Yeah, but it's interesting because it, you know, we're going to get into how the, the, the Mothman character evolves over time, but it's interesting that in this initial period of about a year between mid 66 and, uh, early to mid to, I mean, a middle to end 67, um, he's kind of just, he doesn't really, none of the characteristics are there yet. He's just this weird, beefy, winged, red glowing eyed monster. Like nobody can really agree what he looks like. Some people say he has a head. Some people say he doesn't have a head. Some people say he's got, uh, large claws. Some people say he looks more bird-like. Some people then, because of the name, start claiming that they see him as a giant moth. Some people say that the reason for all these disparate, not agreed upon cooperations of what the Mothman looks like is because they're all just seeing different animals that are all unrelated. And somebody starts describing it as a, a quadruped, small rodent-like animal with like a almost kind of like a, a domino mask across its eyes. And when the local police are like, that's a fucking raccoon, then the person starts screaming, how dare you infringe on my rights? This was the Mothman. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird. The continued sightings of Mothman would pepper throughout the next year. Witnesses all over the Midwest would claim to have interacted with a winged man of some sort. Some even got close enough to touch him, reporting that he smelled like a woodland animal. However, on December 15, 1967, a tragedy would take place that would propel the character into global recognition. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Act two, the Silver Bridge Incident. The Silver Bridge, a large suspension bridge spanning the Ohio River and connecting West Virginia and Ohio, mysteriously and suddenly collapsed in 1967. The quaking and ultimately crumbling of the bridge was said to be heard for miles around. 31 cars plunged into the river, injuring more than 60 people and killing 46. The Silver Bridge was constructed in 1928 and opened for public use on May 30th of that year. At 700 feet high and more than 2,000 feet long, the bridge, which was ultimately built entirely out of steel, was a staple of interstate travel. However, neither law enforcement nor state or local officials could offer any tangible cause for the sudden collapse of the major road link between the two states. In that information vacuum, local legends spread like wildfire, with tall tales spinning up almost instantly as to why the bridge went down. That's the linchpin for me, at least, in this story, the thing that I find most fascinating is that little moment right there. Because, you know, we, we now know that the reason why the bridge collapsed was because there was some, there was just some piece, this little like piece that eroded and broke. And it just caused like a Rube Goldberg machine of all these things failing. Um, and the, and the bridge collapsed. Uh, but they, you know, they didn't know that at the time. And, you know, as I, as we were kind of joking about before, uh, you, you know, uh, if if you if you think that conspiracy theories spread now in a vacuum of ignorance, like just imagine back then where, yeah, the information couldn't spread as fast or as as large or global as it can now. But 
they're operating on way less general information because in the same way that information can't spread, uh, knowledge can't spread as well. So, you know, nowadays we have, you know, teenagers who understand quantum theory because they fucking watched a YouTube series about it or whatever. But back then, like people didn't know about anything other than these like specific things that they they learned in school. And then they people get specialized knowledge in crafts and fields. And then that's just kind of the thing that you know about. So you have all these people who don't know why this happened. It's just this random tragedy. And, you know, stuff like that is scary. It's like when 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 things like that happen where some horrible thing happens and you just can't explain it and you have no idea why it happened and you don't know when it's going to happen again. You don't know if it's going to happen to you. You could be driving on another bridge and then that bridge fucking collapses. People need to come up with permission structures for not being terrified or create internal kayfabe of like, oh, I can just attribute it to that. And I don't have to spend my every waking moment being terrified of random, meaningless, horrible tragedies happening to me in any step I take, any place I go. So, you know, then you're like, oh, well, the bridge collapsed because Mothman, the Mothman, he caused it because he wanted those people to die. But, you know, I'm not going to he's not going to kill me. He's not going to kill again. He's not going to collapse a different bridge. So I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about the the unknowable horror of at any given moment, some random subtle thing that is not inherently malevolent. It's just a circumstance of a random chaotic universe could happen and I could just be killed for no reason. My life just ended. Um, that's the thing that is that's the thing that's so fascinating to me because that's that's a lot of the reason why these things happen. Right. That, that like. The reason why these stories crop up and they grow and especially back in the past uh, and the reason why these things were bigger in the past was because people were just always trying to attach meaning and create uh, patterns and uh, of things that they didn't understand that were happening that were scary. The carnage and mass death of the accident prompted many people to come forward, claiming to have seen the Mothman sitting atop the bridge just prior to its collapse. The Ohio and West Virginia communities that had been so deeply affected by this trauma began to proffer ideas of religious significance for the Mothman's arrival. They claimed he was a harbinger of doom and pain, an otherworldly sign of impending loss. From here on, people would claim to see the Mothman all over the globe. Any instance of mass trauma or tragedy would be followed by people claiming to have witnessed the Mothman lurking in the shadows or have caught in a reflection a glance at him and that continued on like all the way up until recently like as recently as like as 9-11 people were saying that they saw mothman fucking in the the settling dust of the of the twin towers after they fell yeah so the thing that's fascinating to me is how this character who is obviously somebody being scared and being like oh, it was a bird ah! i mean definitely not a bird it was not a bird there's no way it could have been a bird they're they're scared and they they can't admit that that they were scared so then it spawns this story right and it's almost kind of like every time there's a a branching decision tree where somebody has the opportunity to admit like this is out of my control this is bigger than me I didn't know what was happening. This is crazy. This is unknowable. Whatever it is, it's just easier to put it on the Mothman. So it becomes this really strange sort of pan-cultural phenomena where he, like you said, he 
got um he was i think he was spotted at both world trade center attacks the first one uh in the 80s uh where they terrorists drove um trucks filled with explosives into the into the bottom of the world trade center um i think that's what happened it's been a while but i I think that's how what the first world trade center attack was yeah there was there was bombs and cars that were in the the underground parking structure or whatever right um and and people claim to have seen him there people claim to have seen him in um uh like you said 9-11 i've also seen people claiming that he is in the backgrounds of uh holocaust photos um which Okay. You can see him reflected in several mirrors and windows all throughout the Snyder Cut. (laughs) (laughs) If you watch uh, Zack Snyder's Entertainment Tonight Zoom interview, you can see the Mothman in the mirror behind Zack the whole time. In all seriousness, going back to the... I didn't mean to just totally derail that with a joke, but... Going back to the Holocaust thing, you know, that those things always that's that's always where I'm just like, ah, do we have to go there? Like stuff like that. Like it just always starts to feel a little gross when you're just like when you're just, it's like that or like the whole that fucking aliens guy, like where it's just like, you, yeah. <laughs> and and that too. The You think I'm going to say no guy? <laughs> you think I'm going to say no? <laughs> I think that you think I'm going to say no meme is completely unproblematic, but, uh, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the ancient aliens guy, should we explain that? Or are you just going to cut that out? There's been a, a meme that has developed exclusively in texts b- back and forth between me and Dave. It's a meme that only exists in our text messages where we bounce ideas off of each other, but bouncing ideas off of each other sometimes can just end up feeling like this sort of fruitless effort because a you know that the other person is going to like it and want to do it and b you know that we're not going to do it because we don't have time to do it it's just throwing another idea on top of a pile of ideas that maybe we'll get to one day when we're done with all these other ideas that we're also already doing so when when you when you come up with an idea you pitch it to the other person and really the only thing that they can say is just like, yeah, I love it. Like there's just nothing you can say to it. Cause you're not, it's like, we're not going to criticize it and we're also not going to do anything about it. So the only thing you can say is just like, yeah, sounds good, man. And so that morphed into, you think I'm going to say no. And then that became a meme. So now we, there's a, there's a, there's an actual meme. That's a picture of Dave with his hair, like spiked up, like, like he's like ripping his hair out in frustration or whatever. And he's just like shrugging at the camera next to like a Jenga game. I don't even know what the fucking, I don't even know what the context of the picture is. Yeah. It, it came from, it came from when we went, Nicole and I went to a cabin for her birthday and we were playing this weird knockoff Jenga game at like two in the morning or something. And cause what else are you going to do is a fucking pandemic. And I, through the course of that whole Jenga game, was just being a dick and like trying to take the most strategically inappropriate pieces out so the game would be over. But then it got super tall. It was like 35, you know, tiers tall. And it was just like, you would breathe on it and it would wobble. And I turned it into a bit where I was like, like pulling my hair out, like being performatively anxious that it was going to fall and like, for some reason, I was like, you got, we got to take a picture of this and send it to Andrew. So I like pulled my hair out, like almost to a t- cartoonish degree 
and then uh, posed next to it like a crazy person. And we sent it that to you. And then that somehow became the, you think I'm going to say no image. I took that image and I just added the text. You think I'm going to say no. And then the next time that Dave pitched me an idea, I just sent him that picture in response. And now we just send that picture back and forth to each other. It's just kind of a way of like responding to an idea when you like don't have anything else to say to it. But the ancient aliens guy and stuff like this, that's the direction that I don't want to push conspiracy theories because then that just gets into the thing where you're just like, it's just this has this racial racist connotation where you're like implying that these people just couldn't have possibly been capable of building pyramids. So it had to be aliens or you completely trivialize the horrible evil deeds done by these people by insinuating that the Holocaust was like engineered by some kind of evil monster instead of the actual people who committed those horrible atrocities. It, it always goes there, right? It always goes there. It always goes there. You watch the the flat earth documentaries and stuff like that. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, these people believe that the earth is flat. Like, that sounds goofy. And then it always goes to like, and then the Jews. And it's like, oh, fuck. God damn it. Yeah, I I just watched, um, I won't even say the name because I don't want to promote them because fuck those idiots. But there is a documentary about uh, the reptilian conspiracy on uh, Hulu right now. And uh, it is so trippy that these people believe this. And I don't even think that the people making the documentary believe it. I think they're trying to make money off of people who get radicalized and believe it like, you know, the, the Phantom Patriot or something like that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is the right time to say this, but I just I've had this locked and loaded for this episode. But that just reminds me of watching documentaries and news clips and little uh, feature pieces about Mothman. It just strikes me as so funny in these stories when you have these like reporters and journalists and documentarians walking around and they're, you know, they're interviewing these people telling these stories and, you know, they're, they're just, they're being like an objective journalist. They're just asking questions and taking it seriously. And it, it just strikes me as, it's just so funny to me after a while. Cause it's like you just, these like journalists, just like with a straight face, just like listening to someone lie to them <laughs> and they know that they're lying and they're just like, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So tell me more about that. So the, so the giant monster, uh, bird moth creature, it, it appeared in front of you. And it's like, they know that they're fucking lying, but it's like this weird, unspoken thing where it's just like i'm gonna because i'm making this documentary about this i'm just gonna pretend like i'm entertaining this as a real thing i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that you give anybody making a claim about anything even though they're a hundred percent lying yeah just like no shadow of a doubt just like the person's name on the chiron beneath them is just replaced with liar mcliarstein like yeah it's it's but yeah, they, you know, they, yeah, but you're right though. That, but going back to what you said before, the, it's easy to just blame it on Mothman. <laughs> blame it on the Mothman. Oh, I was going to go, honey came in and she caught me red handed, creeping with the girl next door. It was Mothman. Picture this. We were both butt naked, banging on the bathroom floor. How could I forget that I had given her an extra key? All this time she was standing there. She never took her eyes off me. Did you? Are you <laughs> reading the lyrics? You I brought, looked I up the these, lyrics? Here we go. 
Bushy caught me on the counter. It was Mothman. Saw me banging on the sofa. It was Mothman. I even had her in the shower. It was Mothman. She even caught me on camera. It was Mothman. She saw the marks on my shoulder. It was Mothman. Heard the words that I told her. It was Mothman. Heard the screams getting louder. It was Mothman. She said she stayed until it was over. At first I was like, damn, you remember a lot of these shaggy lyrics. What the fuck? And then... I saw that you were reading it and I got very disappointed. And then I had to remember that you had to pre-plan this and bring the lyrics. And then I loved it even more because that's so silly. <laughs> I mean, I looked him up as you were talking, but I... Oh, no, don't ruin this for me. I, I knew I knew a good deal of them. I just didn't remember all of them. So I just wanted to hedge my bets. Man, I love it. I love it so much. In the early 1970s, a journalist named John Keel, born Alva John Keel, K-I-E-H-L-E began to investigate the initial Mothman sightings. He became fascinated by how quickly the stories about this winged beast had spread. Eventually, his research developed into the now infamous book, The Mothman Prophecies. Keel's book investigates the origin of the creature through interviews with many of the initial eyewitnesses. He traveled to Point Pleasant, staying there for an extended period of time, researching and ultimately made some stunning conclusions about the Mothman. Conclusions which... Not everyone interested in urban legends agrees with. That's not the made-up bullshit story that I want to believe. <laughs> Which is, it, and that's really what it is. It's like it's not, it's not like Bible scholars disagreeing on interpretations of the Old Testament or whatever. It's just a bunch of nerds being like that story isn't cool to me. Let me let me read this next bit and then we'll talk about that because I think there is sort of an argument to be made for that John Keel introduced things into the Mothman mythology which were not there previously that were only interesting to him that now Mothman aficionados and Mothman fans have to grapple with in the public setting which is an interesting discussion to have of like when these urban legends that are produced by people retelling stories and adding their own versions when 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 does when a retcon that is not popular takes such a substantial hold of the public imagination what does that do to the community that actually propelled the idea to the place where it could break out which is interesting i mean i don't know but all i do know is that greedo shot first (laughs) keel was particularly interested in ufos and otherworldly phenomena that involved extraterrestrials In the Mothman Prophecy book, Keel drew connections between the cryptid and UFOs, claiming that they simply had to be involved in the Mothman's existence, and the existence of the other unexplained supernatural phenomena in the Point Pleasant area. In the book, Keel classifies the Mothman as part of a group that he calls Ultra-Terrestrials, otherworldly beings who walk among us in secret. Much of the Mothman prophecies is concerned with the connections and correlations between these ultra-terrestrials and the many sightings of alien visitors. No other person was so influential in galvanizing or propagating the legend of the Mothman in the popular culture. What was a deeply fringe and beloved regional character, who had a small pocket of success and sightings all over the globe, quickly became a creature that stood shoulder to shoulder with the likes of Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil. I love the idea that John Keel was just like, yeah, there's not really enough here to write a whole book about, so I'm just going to take the other shit I'm interested in and just like shove it sideways in here, because fuck it. And he, and he did it. He fucking... 
He fucking did it. Also, can we just discuss that Ultra Terrestrials is like a fucking great name? I'm yeah, yeah. I mean, but it is it is funny though. It's funny that they say. I mean, not that not that this is like a globally acknowledged truth that everybody thinks is real. It's obviously sort of relegated to the small pocket of people that believe in Mothman. But it is, but it's it's sort of like this microcosm where you really see like just how that can happen, how over time. And this is even a, you know, this is from the '60s. This is a small microcosm where you can see how somebody can there can be an idea, and then somebody can just like add something to it, and then over time it gets sort of like mixed in with the rest of the story to the point where you come to like years later, and then it's just become accepted as truth. And part of it, because somebody just arbitrarily added in this little, their little spice. And, you know, you can, you can apply that concept to bigger, older concepts. And you really start to think of like, oh, if that could happen in, you know, a, a handful of decades, imagine the things that could be added in and changed by human beings with self-serving motives over the course of thousands of years. As a young man born in the New York area, Keel quickly developed a simultaneous interest in the otherworldly and in writing. After working in the newspaper industry and participating in the early days of radio and TV, Keel found himself in the Army, serving in the Korean War on the staff of the American Forces Network in Frankfurt, Germany. After being honorably discharged, Keel began telling a tale so outlandish it simply had to be true. He claimed that he was actually employed in the art of psychological warfare while serving as a propaganda writer. In 1957, he published a book called Jadu, which described his investigations into Indian rope tricks and also his search for the Yeti. Isn't that a fucking pairing? Isn't that a pairing? He's like, you know what? These guys in like these markets with these like rope tricks and these charming of snakes. I think they got the answer to the Yeti. I'm going to go talk to them about this Yeti. I mean, and he was the only one that thought of it. And he was living in the fucking year 4,000. The year Squatch 1,000, more like it. (coughs) (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) If you try to like mic drop on a joke and you almost choke to death, that's when you know that the joke wasn't funny. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. While becoming involved in an amateur network of UFO hunters throughout the 60s and 70s, he paid the bills working in television, writing episodes of Get Smart, Monkeys, and Lost in Space. I love how that's just like a little like a side thing. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I I, I had this decades-long obsessive mission to to prove the existence of ultra terrestrials. It's like, oh yeah, how did I mean how did you how did you what was your day job? How'd you make money? Oh, I just uh you know, I just wrote I wrote on Get Smart. You know, I had to do something. Yeah, yeah, I mean I had to do something, you know. The monkeys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know? Mm-hmm. You know. It's just like a footnote in his life. It's like, yeah, I, like in the same way you you say like you waited tables through college or something like that. He's just like, yeah, I just, you know. I wrote on seminal uh, comedy and science fiction shows from the golden age of television to, you know, fund my cryptozoological efforts. <laughs> the, the thing that's even crazier is this next line. What, wait for this. But here's where Keel's involvement in the paranormal takes a turn. In 1967, Keel coined the term men in black to refer to a shadowy and secretive government agent who always seemed to materialize whenever there were extraterrestrials or cryptid sightings. This term first appeared in an article he wrote for Saga magazine titled 
UFO agents of terror. That's fucking insane to me. The guy who basically like solidified the myth of the Mothman is also the guy who like in did the same thing for the men in black. Like obviously these concepts existed prior to him. But he's the one who, he's the Frank Miller to their daredevil. He's the, he's the, uh, you know, he's the, uh, the, whatever the guy's name is that made Chuchi Woochie. Tony Baloney. He's the Tony Baloney to, to Chuchi Woochie, you know? What's even crazier is that in the very next issue of Saga magazine, his story was just verbatim the screenplay to Hitch. <laughs> And he like drew the, he like drew an illustration and it's just the poster with, with fucking Kevin James and, and, uh, Will Smith, but they're both like kind of the details or it's like you're like unfocusing your eyes because he, he drew it in 1967 before both of them were born. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's so trippy to me that he, that John Keel like named the men in black, basically created the, the Mothman. And um, spent his whole life writing all of these weird books that, you know, it makes you wonder, like, was he a true believer and he was spending his time this way because he wanted to expose the truth? Or is this all a, like, a lifelong kayfabe because he is a science fiction and comedy nerd and he thinks it's really funny to be like, the Mothman is an alien! Yum, 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 yum! I don't know. All I know is that every time you sing, <laughs> here come the men in black galaxy defenders. Oh, oh, oh. He makes a million dollars. Yeah, I wish he did, but he didn't. I don't know if he's, I don't even know if he's still alive. Nah, he's dead. He passed away. Mothman didn't predict that, did he? <laughs> Maybe he's not really dead. Maybe Mothman took him up in his flying UFO. It's that fucking meme that is like, the Grim Reaper with a dog, and he's like, it's time to go. Was I a good boy? You were the best boy, or whatever. But it's it's just the Mothman. It's like, it's time to go. Was I a good, crazy, conspiracy theorist, maniac, grifter? You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were no Bill Cooper. This line of interest led Keel to Point Pleasant, where he began to draw many of his correlations between the Mothman sightings and strange visitors from outer space. His interest was first drawn to West Virginia after receiving a strange phone call and ongoing reports of mangled pets. Which is actually the name of my hardcore band. Strange phone calls and uh, mangled pets? Strange phone calls and ongoing reports of mangled pets. It's a good name. Act three, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Mothman. While the Mothman was semi-constantly in the public imagination due to Keel's book, he waned in popularity in the 80s and 90s. However, he came roaring back. We were too busy with Crystal Pepsi to worry about Mothman. Yeah, Crystal Pepsi, that's how you get those real fucking Nostradamus. We were like, we were like, ah, oh, check the fridge, soda, purple stuff, not Mothman. However, the Mothman came roaring back and reached new heights thanks to the 2002 film The Mothman Prophecies, directed by Mark Pellington and starring, wait for it, 
Richard Gere and Laura Linney. Yeah, we were we weren't ready for the the Mothman until we got to the the perfect decade for the Mothman, the the 2000s, the like kind of B tier, nothing really that interesting is going on right now. It's it's not as cool as the 90s and there's like nothing really culturally galvanizing everybody, so we just kind of have to like scrape at the bottom of the barrel for like the sort of leftover dregs of the 90s like the perfect decade for the mothman i would politely disagree and say that i would love like a 1978 mothman movie starring robert redford as john keel i think that would be fucking awesome because it would be like it'd be like three days of the condor meets Close encounters, you know, you would have, it would be just pulpy enough, but they would try and be, they would, it would be, it would be like the script would be like a shitty pulpy movie, but they would get somebody really cool to direct it and it would get just elevated enough, you know, like Dustin Hoffman would be John Keel maybe. Um, and it would be, it would be, it would be taken just seriously enough that it would be a really cool movie, but it would be like the special effects would still be kind of shitty and practical. And it would have a texture to it. You know, maybe like, I would love to see a Mothman Prophecies movie directed by John Borman. Like, that would be amazing to me. I mean, that would be way better than the movie that we got. Yes. Yes, it would. Um, But I feel like it's also, it would be really, it would be perfectly timed. Because I feel like the reason that Bigfoot really took off in America is that he got picked up into this slipstream of pop culture. You know, he was on Six Million Dollar Man. He was... You know, uh, in cartoons, you know, in the 80s, like he really became a cultural force to reckon with partially because of the movie, you know, the, the, uh, the two guys shot out in the middle of the fucking woods. We've done a whole episode on it. Um, but also because he just kind of enveloped the culture in this weird way where I feel like Mothman is like maybe low B list, high C list of cryptids. He's like really well known, but I don't think anybody really knows that much about him. He's just like, oh, it's a weird moth creature, which he literally isn't. He's a bird man. He's an alien bird man that predicts tragedies. But I don't think that normal people know that. Normal people think he's a giant moth dude. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's very obvious why Bigfoot, you know, persevered in the public consciousness and the Mothman kind of wound up as this sort of like B-level, you know, afterthought. And, you know, this episode is just self-evident. I mean, listen to the Bigfoot episode. Listen to this episode. What is the difference? There's no cricks. (laughs) Where's Mothman's crick? And I, and I don't mean like necessarily specifically a crick, but just like what was he doesn't have his own crick. There's no crick. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. He does. He also doesn't really have aside from John Keel. He doesn't have a single person who's taken up the the standard. Right. He that's out there beating the beating the drum of the Mothman is real. The Mothman is real. I saw the Mothman. Um, I'd be very interested to live in that world, though, where there is a Mothman convention. Well, there kind of is, but we'll get to that later. Maybe we can start it. Maybe we can maybe we can be those people. Oh, my Dave, the Mothman was behind you just now. He's he's pissing on your bed. Dave, the Mothman is doing the you think I'm going to say no face. He just keeps he just keeps posing in that meme behind you over and over again. Dave, I think the Mothman wants to take over as the other member of the show. He's strangling Hillsmer. I'm Mothman. 
um yeah so we're so we're, we're basically you know we're at the point where the movies you know it's in development it's gonna get made and then slowly works its way through the process and then um let's talk about it a little bit uh the film was an adaptation of john keel's book however the screenplay adapted by richard hatem had some key differences it took more of an intellectual thriller approach to the subject matter and it was kind of less of a creature feature you know displaying the winged menace for the world to see and more of a you know thinking man's shadowy campfire tale uh you know obviously uh richard Gere stars in the movie as the john keel character but in the movie they changed his name to john klein and he's a reporter who's searching trying to research the legend of mothman still grieving from the loss of his wife in a mysterious accident klein finds himself in point pleasant and hears of multiple sightings of a creature that has the townspeople deeply frightened the more klein investigates the more his obsession with the Mothman grows, and he begins to harbor a deep-seated belief that if he can only solve this riddle, he will be able to some way find the answers to his wife's death. The film, like Keel's novel, incorporates the extraterrestrial components into the climax. While many true believers of the Mothman do not like this approach to the myth, this aspect of the legend has been constant ever since the book's release. So you said you saw it in in theaters. I actually have have never seen the movie Mothman Prophecies. Um, I saw the movie. I would have to I would have to watch it again, and like I could be completely wrong because I'm I'm just remembering seeing this movie when I was a kid, and maybe I watch it again, and I'm like, oh yeah, actually they did. This is like a really interesting approach to this, or something like that. I don't know. But with the full disclosure that this is like a this is like a child's uh, remembered viewpoint on this. I just remember that the Mothman movie was just like completely disappointing because it's not really a Mothman movie. It's a it's it's just like a psychological thriller about a guy try like uncovering some kind of truth about his wife's death that the Mothman is just like a setup to like the 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 opening of the movie is that he's driving the him and his wife played by Deborah Messing are driving home from a party and they're just like in a sports car and they're laughing it's just like that that scene in movies from the fucking 90s where it's just like you hear like the the revving of the engine getting higher and higher and they're in the middle of the woods driving home from like a party and laughing or whatever and then uh they they see the mothman he swerves to avoid it and then they get out and it's gone and then his wife dies and then he's years later investigating this and then he keeps like seeing his wife and he'll he like chases after her and then he starts getting phone calls and it's like a voice on the phone that's like saying cryptic things to him and that that's it there's no it's not about the mothman it's like it's just a it's about like this weird psychological thriller plot where he's like uncovering secrets about his wife's death and then it leads to like a yeah it's like aliens and they like they abducted her or something i can't remember what it was exactly but it's like they it, it's revealed that these aliens took her for some greater purpose or something like that but yeah i just remember being like yeah this fucking sucks it's not it's not about the mothman at all like he's literally just in the beginning of the movie it's like the setup is it a creature suit no it's just like it's just like a blurry half second of like cgi boo at least give me the fucking weird like dude in a bird suit yeah i mean it was just it's not it's not about that at all it's not about the mothman it's just it's about how would you because i mean it i i get the i get the idea behind that though because you know mothman as a concept is is somewhat flawed because it's all of these weird fucked up stories that don't really have a central fear behind them you know like 
the Bigfoot or Scat Sasquatch or, or Yeti or any of these, you know, myths about missing links, like obviously those are, it's about man's uh, deep seated fear that we will lose our, the human contract and, and do embrace our lesser selves and, and commit heinous acts of murder, right? And embrace the animal link between us all. And, 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 but, but like, what is, but you know what I mean? Like, what is, I, I don't even know, like, if, like, okay. You know, Andrew, thanks for coming in today to, uh, Great Pictures of Tomorrow, uh, the production company that makes Great Pictures of Tomorrow. We've got the rights to make the Mothman prophecies and, uh, we wanna, we wanna make a remake, but we wanna do it right. We don't wanna make this bullshit Richard Gere intellectual thrill of durable up my butt movie. We wanna make the real Mothman prophecies. So we wanna hear your take. What's your take on the Mothman prophecies movie? <clears throat> All right. So, um, so, so two cooks and their wife. And their wives. <laughs> are driving down a country road in the middle of the night, it's 2 a.m. Um, they can't even look at each other in the eye because of the stuff that they were just doing. It's a really awkward, quiet car ride. You could hear, you could hear a, you could hear a needle drop in the forest. Let me just, let me just stop you right there, Andrew. I love cucks. Cucks are coming back in a big way. We are in. Keep going. Okay. Um, and then, uh, uh, just a, just a, out of nowhere, just a, the fucking Mothman just plows out of the, out from. Oh, it's a, it's a polyamorous thing. The, the, the Mothman's gonna start plowing. I mean, you kind of, you're kind of getting ahead of my joke here, but the, the, the Mothman comes out of the forest and they almost hit him and then they swerve and then they, you know, they stop and they get out of the car and they're like, what the fuck was that? And then they just hear, they hear, uh, they hear like the, the gentle, uh, the gentle rhythmic wah of a guitar coming out of, uh, from a, from out of the woods and a, a warm glow emanates and they, they follow it in and they, they, they go into the woods and they get to this place where this, this, uh, these, these overhead lights and there's shag carpet everywhere. And the Mothman is there and he's wearing like a, like a fluffy robe and he's just, carrying he's got he's got four arms and each arm has a glass of champagne in it and he looks at them and he goes i predict that we about to fuck <laughs> and the rest of the movie is just like uh the the, the rest of the movie is just like practical effects of like really like gigaresque fucked up sex stuff with like uh people having sex with bizarre uh appendages that are like penis shaped and uh yeah i'm into it but to your point yeah i don't know what the fuck the mothman is about i don't know what my my like psychological interpretation of that character is i don't know how to adapt that to a modern uh you know the, the modern zeitgeist uh and, and like i said i could i could watch that movie now and be like oh this is fucking great like they they did they this is a really interesting thing that they did with it i don't know i'm just talking about when i was a kid and just being like this is not a horror monster movie this is this has nothing to do with mothman yeah aside from doing some sort of kind of like schlocky the mothman takes over a town and starts killing people pumpkin head style like if you're making that movie yeah i could see that movie being made in fact there, there might even be that movie like that it wouldn't surprise me if there's a mothman movie that i don't know about that's that i don't think there is but i mean it kind of, honestly i mean the uh the fact that that director is a pedophile aside uh jeepers creepers is kind of like a mothman horror movie yeah totally yeah um so yeah yeah i just i don't really know what you do with him other than that like maybe he maybe there's if, if you know what i could see a version of it where it's almost kind of like the mothman something about him kills people like his 
his visage is so horrifying that it b- literally blows people's minds and they, they dro- dro- go insane and it's, you know, kind of Lovecraftian. But, like, he's here to try and warn humanity about something. Like, so the Mothman shows up and he's like, My other alien homies are gonna invade the planet. You need to prepare. He's like, bro, bro, I gotta tell you something. Oh, god damn it. He's gone. He's gone fucking mad again. Another fucking insane person who's viewed my visage and lost their mind yeah because like i i really don't know what you do unless it's kind of like a like a bigfoot hunting movie where it's about a bunch of people trying to find the mothman which even then like okay so it's like people like wandering around in the woods in a small town like that movie still ends with the gentle rhythmic wah of a guitar hell yeah they go into the woods i predict that we're gonna fuck yeah exactly but like i yeah i don't know how you turn you know unless you make this like a serious i don't know how you make it a serious movie you know what i mean like i i i you know what though i could see a version of it where it's kind of this idea but it is more like we were talking about that that 1978 john borman robert redford kind of all the president's men if there were monsters where it's like you follow richard keel he gets interested in it he's you know is a guy who's obsessed with paranormal stuff he goes to Point Pleasant, he interviews all these people, and you're almost like, you never know if he is or isn't gonna find the Mothman. You know, like, it's kind of like a, a character study of this guy of like, why are you searching for the Mothman? And then, you know, he's interviewing all the townsfolk, and they all seem very, you know, uh, not, not reputable, like they all have their own little axes to grind with each other, and it's kind of like a detective movie. And then the end would be, oh, actually, they weren't lying. The Mothman is real. And you get five to ten minutes of the Mothman and the Mothman kidnaps John. I predict that we're gonna (laughs) fuck. Yeah, like I could see that. Like that could be cool, you know, Um, or maybe there's a bunch of kids going and disappearing in Point Pleasant. So you give it some sort of human connection and John Keel goes there to try and save these kids and the, all of you know they have to everybody in the town keeps seeing mothman and at the end of the movie they they fight the mothman and it's a little bit more of a traditional kind of jaws structure like i could i could see that maybe working as a movie but it's also kind of like mothman as a character is kind of flawed as a setup because he's a birdman he's not a moth and titling a movie a mothman you expect it to be a giant moth so you know that the reason why he doesn't kind of work as a movie character and probably the reason why they made the movie that the way that the way that they did, it goes back to what I said in the beginning, which is the thing that is so scary, at least to me. And obviously, this is my own personal perspective, but I kind of feel like this is what is scary about the Mothman is that like you you don't see him really. He's like a he's like a brief flash and you don't really fully understand his motives. And that's the scary part is like, what the f- like it, like. It's not like the other cryptids where you have a very detailed like explanation of what they look like. And there's sometimes just little literal footage of them and you kind of know what they're about. Like the Mothman, the thing that was scary about the Mothman to me as a kid was just like, what the fuck does it want? Like, what is like it's, this is um, this shit is ominous as hell. Yeah, maybe I mean, maybe it's something along the lines of like a Slender Man movie, you know, where the Mothman is, you know, there's no explanation for what the Mothman's motivation is. He's just trying to warn us about this thing. And it's almost a final destiny, <clears throat> final destination thing where like, you know that these people are going to die, but it's not, it's not that they're going to die. It's how they're going to die. Um, and so maybe there's that, but that seems really hard to pull off because what are you going to have him showing up every five minutes and being like, you're going to die. And then like, 
you're just like waiting for like rebar to like fall off of a truck and kill somebody like it's just he's so he's like bro change lanes get out from behind that truck with the poles out of coming out of the back trust me trust me bro it's just it's yeah it's just hard like i don't i don't think he's he's not well enough defined to support a movie really um Unless maybe you 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 delve into the fact that he's an alien support, which I don't really like. Like personally, I don't. I like him more as like this weird culture. Like I like him as Watu the Watcher, where he's been like watching humanity for like hundreds of years, and he's this old creature, and he keeps seeing these recurring looping cycles within humanity, and and he's almost kind of like impotent in his inability to stop it, and so he's this otherworldly force that shows up and is just like, yo, humans. Be better. Don't do that fucking stupid thing that you're about to. Ah, shit, you're dead. The the bridge collapsed. Fuck. Yeah, J- John Keel really just uh, Highlander 2, the quickening did up. Yeah, like no one needs aliens in. I don't like aliens. We didn't need this, man. We didn't need this. No. Yeah, it's 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 not. It's, you know, it really is Highlander 2, the quickening. It's just not. What and then you, you try want. to do the renegade cut and it's like, yeah, I mean, this is better, but it's still you're you're still just like moving around like puzzle pieces in a shitty puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not cool. Um, I actually don't hate the renegade cut. But yeah, I, sorry, John Keel, rest in peace. Uh, thank you for all your work, but I really don't, I love the idea of ultra terrestrials. I don't like the idea though, that he's like in connection with aliens. I'd like the idea of ultra terrestrials as, as, as earth based things that are just really powerful. But the, but this goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is that that's the reason, like, that's literally what it is. It's the people who don't like the stuff that he added to it. They're just the people, they're the same as the people who were just like, oh, Highlander 2 sucked. Like you ruined, you ruined the canon. Like it's not about like this is true or you've like made up lies that aren't the truth. It's just like this. I just don't like what you were. The, I don't like the direction you took the story. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially with something like him, because unlike Bigfoot, Mothman really isn't something you can hunt. You know what I mean? Like he's not like a, it's not Loch Ness Monster or something where like in the initial conception where it was just like this small town that this weird creature lived in. Okay. But now that it's kind of expanded past that and he's been seen all over the world and presaged all these horrible tragedies, it's like, it's like nobody really thinks he's real. I mean, there are people who claim to, but it's kind of kayfabe. They're kind of just like, they like the story. They like the idea that there's this otherworldly dark deity that like, warns humanity and we we kind of can't get out of our own way you know well it's interesting it reminds me because you know we we a lot of the uh a lot of these uh conspiracy theories and urban legends you know back then but even even now they're usually tied to griffs where like you know the the the, the bigfoot stuff it was a it was just like a handful of people during a certain point of time who were just trying to make money off of a thing and it continues to be that where every couple of years you have someone who's like i found bigfoot's dick in the <laughs> like in the snow perfectly preserved in my backyard and then they show you just like a, a picture of a fucking giant hairy dick and they're just like here it is motherfuckers bigfoot's dick Come out here, scientists, and examine this. And they're like, "All right, we're gonna we're we're getting our we're getting our dick examination tools, and we're we'll be right out there. We we can tell if this is an authentic Bigfoot dick within a ninety nine percent accuracy. 
within 48 hours. And they're like, yep, come do it. Fucking do it. It's right here. And then they travel out there and they're like, well, uh, oh shit, someone stole the Bigfoot dick. <laughs> oh no, you'll never be able to verify that that was totally true what we said. And that happens like every four years. And it's people just, it's people trying to get money or get like 15 minutes of fame. And modern conspiracy theories are like that too. Like, there's a lot of people who genuinely believe in the QAnon bullshit, but all of that stuff comes from a handful of people who are using it as a grift, who are trying to get internet famous or sell merchandise or whatever. And then the byproduct of it is that a bunch of people actually believe it. Um, the Mothman thing is interesting because it doesn't seem like it really has that. Like, other than, other than John Keel, who, you know, I guess you could say he was like trying to sell books or whatever, like, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like uh ID like the, uh, uh, the myth doesn't seem to have come from a bunch of grifters. It seems to have come from a bunch of people collectively like hearing this story. And as we were talking about before, uh, using it as a permission structure to make themselves feel better about fucked up tragedies that happened near them. Um, and that's really interesting. It's, 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 it's different. Um, that's almost more interesting than just the actual myth itself is like the fact that it's kind of it's spread in a different way than a lot of the other urban legends. Yeah, it's a salve for grief as opposed to an expulsion of an inner trauma. The film The Mothman Prophecies debuted on January 22nd, 2002 to mixed reviews from Mothman fans and general audiences alike. Many have said that Richard Gere was miscast in the film, while others felt that the film was too derivative of the X-Files. Ultimately, it is remembered as a film with a highly recognizable name, but not many people actually watched it. The simple dichotomy likely helped The Legend of the Mothman to expand even further than typically it would have in the wake of a poorly executed film. Which is really, that's actually really funny to me too, that like, The Mothman Prophecies movie, he's low-key, not a Mothman movie, and also wasn't that successful. Uh, if you're unaware, in Hollywood, uh, January is referred to as Dump Month. Because it's when everybody puts their they their their verified stinkers on the release schedule, um, and so it's also when I save up all my dumps for the whole year. Yes, I just get it all out of the way. Beginning of the year, I'm done. Save so much time. I'm at, you think how all the time you get back from all those little trips to the bathroom throughout the year. Yep. Yeah. Why would you even like fuck with dumping when you could just do it in January? Yeah. 365 days in a year, man. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Use one month. One month. Dump month. Mm-hmm. And then you have just the whole rest of the year to do whatever. Whatever you want. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that the Mothman low key is like not particularly famous. The movie wasn't very good. He isn't even in the movie really, but that almost like propelled him even further into being even more amorphous. Because after the movie, it's even like he's kind of just around like you just hear the name Mothman. But like there's never real sightings of him. It's just these photos of like him at tragedies that kind of pop up on the Internet. And that's kind of it, which is a really weird, interesting version of the history of a cryptid. Um, Our boy Onyx the Fortuitous saw the Mothman. That's true. He did. He did. Today, Point Pleasant has fully embraced the legacy of their urban legend. Jeff Wamsley, a local area Mothman expert and aficionado, runs the aptly named Mothman Museum. It's the only one of its kind in the world. The Mothman Museum has props from the film, replicas of the Mothman, 
and what he would have looked like, photographs taken by individuals who were able to snap a quick picture of the creature, and newspaper clippings from across the globe. So we're watching a, uh, a video that uh, somebody made of their um, their trip to the to the Mothman Museum. Um, it's a little walkthrough, a little kind of handheld, like, um, you know. Hey, well, it's a YouTuber named The Carpetbagger. These YouTube channels are so funny to me. I watched a bunch of these for researching the Disney World episode, and there's just a ton of channels like this, where it's people that just, like, have a channel where they're like, I go to places in the world and just, like, walk through it, and they're all the same. They all have the exact same vibe, the exact same tone. The hosts are always the same person. I'm not gonna lie, man. Watching this, like, I really want to go to the Mothman Museum. Like, I don't know. This, I my my impression of this is like this museum fucking sucks. Like, I I am I've I spent a good deal of my childhood hanging out in the UFO museum in Roswell, New Mexico. And I always thought like, man, I always thought I feel sorry for people who travel from across the world to come to this because it's, I, I can't imagine it being anything short of disappointing, but the the UFO museum is like the fucking Guggenheim compared to this. This is, this is my idea of heaven. There's like really shitty paper mache homemade sculpted mothman figurines everywhere there's like a a weird like it seems like somebody's mom made a giant mothman that's hanging from the ceiling there's like costumes that are supposedly it's a room with some shit on some tables he's got a he's got a blanket that came in contact with both deborah messing and richard Gere. that is that is that is that's the politically correct way of saying that they fucked on it though i because that from the scene i predict that we're gonna fuck and then three-way orgy between richard gear deborah messing and mothman there's there's literally nowhere on earth i would rather go more than this this is they have a piece of they have a, a chapstick a cherry flavored chapstick from the movie under glass. That is my ideal. I that is all I want in life is to go. To be fair, though, that that's almost really not as funny as that actual moment in the movie where it's like, have you ever seen a, mo- a jump scare slash creepy moment in a movie that was product placement? <laughs> I love this. Check out all this. Oh, it's so good. This is so right up my alley. Like, I love kind of rinky-dink, do-it-yourself shit. Like in comics, there's no money. There's never. There's not even really a fan base. It's like seven guys in a hotel room. Like, that's kind of what I miss about a lot of these conventions that happen now because they're now like they've evolved into pop culture conventions where people are coming to meet Jason Momoa. And that's awesome. Like, that's cool. You get to meet the actor from the show that you like. I support that. I didn't get to fucking meet Jason Momoa at Comic-Con. I just saw your dumbass. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but 
but I just love this stuff where it's like, you can just tell there's, you know, I don't need to know that the museum was run by one guy, you know, uh, Jeff Wamsley. I don't need to know that. I know that Jeff Wamsley run. They're selling stuffed Mothmans for $8. (coughs) I want one of those Mothmans. I love this. I love I love this so much that it's just like a guy rented a storefront and was like, I'm going to make a Mothman museum. I'm going to like make some paper mache Mothmans and maybe somebody will give me like $5 to look at it. I, Jeff Wamsley, I will give you $5 to look at that fucking Mothmans. Well, then the UFO museum would blow your mind. See, but that's the thing is, I don't even, eh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Is it cool? Is it cool like that? Because that's kind of what I love. I love shit that's terrible. I mean, it's just a better version of that. Then let's go. It's not like it's I like when I say when I say it's way better than that, I don't mean that it's like state of the art and like really well done. I mean that it's like it's that like this was just put together by a bunch of crazy people and it's just a bunch of random made up bullshit like hung on walls and stuff and then like weird paper mache models of grays and stuff, but just like way better than just like a room (laughs) with a blanket on a table. I'm so into it. I'm so into it on both on both ends. I want to go to the UFO museum. I want to go there. I want to I want to see it all. I've been trapped in my house for a year. When this is over, I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to go somewhere. Maybe I'm going to go to fucking Point Pleasant, West Virginia. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was looking up the dates for next year for Small Press Expo, which happens in DC. Because then I was like, hey, Nicole, what if after Small Press Expo, we just stayed and it went to West Virginia and went to the fucking Mothman uh, Museum? And she was like, that does not sound fun to me. And I was like, no, 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 come on. It's, it's a fucking Mothman Museum though. Like, come on, let's go, to the Mo- let's go to the Mothman Museum. The museum features handwritten depositions from eyewitnesses, original drawings made by people who claim to have had interaction. Interactions? <laughs> I predict that we're gonna fuck. The museum features handwritten depositions from eyewitnesses, original drawings made by people who claim to have witnessed or had interactions with the Mothman, and a short documentary film that screens at regular intervals. Mothman Prophecy's author John Keel himself is featured in the documentary, offering his recollections about the time he spent in Point Pleasant. In the four years since the sighting, Point Pleasant has erected a Mothman statue in the center of the town. Standing over ten feet tall, this metallic sculpture serves as a reminder to all of the locals to never forget the legacy of the terrifying winged creature from the great beyond. In fact, the town has embraced their love of Mothman so much that they have an annual Mothman festival. Every year, on the third weekend in September, come hell or flying harbingers of doom, the town of Point Pleasant celebrates the rash of unearthly sightings all those years ago. The legend of Mothman is a bizarre story that has been firmly cemented into the public consciousness. For more than half a century, it has taken wing from local tall tale to international mystery, capturing the imaginations of people from all walks of life. Mothman has been viewed as a harbinger of great loss. Some have even claimed to have witnessed him in the shadows of Chernobyl or in the plumes of smoke after 9-11. One thing that can be said for sure about the Mothman is that he's not going away anytime soon. I've low-key fallen in love with the Mothman. Like, doing the research for this, I was like, I love all of this. I love how unwieldy it is. I love how fucked up and janky it is. I love the fact that he's not a moth. It's so funny to me that he is a bird man and he's named the Mothman because some idiot news reporter 
tried to rebrand the story and then didn't really think about the fucking fallout of naming him the Mothman. It's so funny to me. Yeah. And also just the fact that it was a bird. Like it was, <laughs> it, was one, it was 100% a bird that they saw on the fucking road. In fact, people, the many, many, uh, whatever, whatever you call them, bird experts and, you know, biological scientists and things like that, they've, they've pretty much pinpointed what they're fairly sure was what the original people saw on that night, which is a sandhill crane, which is a, large bird that can have a wingspan or typically has a wingspan up to 6.5 feet. So this is a large bird that if you saw in the middle of the night, it would look like a big fucking monster. And it has large red, uh, it, the feathers around its eyes are red, coupled with the glare of animals' eyes when they're illuminated by a light, like headlights. People are fairly sure that what these people saw was a sandhill crane. Um, and there's even further speculation that it might have. Well, that's kind of what scientists say that when they've gone on record and addressed this, that they're pretty sure it was that because there are sandhill cranes in the area uh, that uh, this area where this uh, uh, this event occurred. Um, and then there are also people that say that it could have even been a mutated sandhill crane. Because there's a lot of speculation about the fact that there are animals in this area that had become mutated because of the chemicals that had uh, that had um, tainted the groundwater in that area from the TNT factory. The 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 military conducted a study in I think it was the 80s. And they they determined that the the water in that area had become um, inf uh, infected by this mixture of water and cellite, which was a compound, a chemical that was used to rinse the TNT during the production process. And it had seeped into the groundwater and had infected all of the surrounding water supplies and streams and rivers and so there's speculation that there were animals that had become mutated by drinking this tainted water tnt the moth man exactly um so yeah and then and then from there it just becomes a thing it becomes like a you know that it becomes a meme it, it, as we talked about uh <laughs> as we talked about in the bigfoot episode how bigfoot was a meme and, uh, uh, you know, and then also com coming back to what we talked about earlier with with the whole thing about Bigfoot being this grift for a handful of people who are just trying to make money off of these these schemes. Um, if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar, uh, the the people that filmed the original movie, Bob Gimlin and uh, blank on the other guy's name, was Bob Gimlin and whatever the other guy, these two guys, they filmed that initial, you know, the really famous footage of Bigfoot walking and then the other guy, um, he basically made a, a like Pentecostal tent revival show out of screening that footage. And he, he toured all around the country for years doing a vaudeville show, showing the footage of, uh, the Bigfoot and then giving a, a talk and a presentation. And yeah, they, so they, it's not even like the wiggles open for him. Yeah. The wiggles open for them. So it's, it's not even like a passive, like, Oh yeah, they were just trying to make money. Like, no, they literally made a full theater show around screening this footage and were actively monetizing it. Yeah. And so, you know, so kind of combining those, those two ideas, 
the you know this one story popped up and then a lot of uh, people you know first it was just in this town and then it was like you know you know the 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 scope of it kind of widened as the story kind of got more famous and then eventually it became you know across the country and then i guess at some point it became worldwide of just you know a lot of people who just heard about this story and then you know they wanted to they wanted to get in on that the they wanted to become part of the zeitgeist uh, they 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 you know they were there for some kind of uh, tragic event that happened or something that happened near them and you know they you know through some combination of just wanting to be a part of the story and also a subconscious desire to explain something horrible that happened to them or to somebody that they knew or something that happened near them they were just you know they were like yeah i saw it. yeah me too i saw i saw the mothman and it you know it, it reminds me of uh that concept kind of reminds me of the Mandela effect. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go up. I'm going to, I'm going to go up on Papa Pricey's soapbox for a second here because I fucking hate the Mandela effect. I hate it. It's, it's the fucking dumbest phenomenon bullshit thing ever. I hate it so much because it's fake. It's not real. One person posted on the internet that they remembered it as the bear, the Bernstein bears. And then it was just a bunch of other people who wanted to be a part of the meme. Like that was all it was. You have all these people saying like, oh yeah, I, this is my Mandela effect that I saw. They just want to be a part of the meme. They just, that's all they're, these things are not real. These people, these, this one guy misremembered the Bernstein bears is the Ber- the Bernstein bears because as a kid you look at these books and you see Bernstein and you don't know what that fucking means you've never heard of that before so your mind just auto corrects it to the nearest thing that makes sense to you people have heard the name Bernstein before so you're like oh yeah Bernstein of course that's what it is and then later on you read it again and you're like wait a minute I remember it is Bernstein not Bernstein Somebody said that on the internet. It became a meme and then everybody else wanted to glom onto the meme. So they were just like, Oh yeah, I, I totally remembered that fucking Simbad was the genie in a movie called Shazam. It's like, no, you didn't. You just made this shit up. And then everybody else is like, yeah, me too. Cause everybody is collectively just trying to be part of a meme. It's not a real phenomenon. It's a, it's a bunch of people who want to be a part of a meme. And this was kind of the same thing. It was just a bunch of people being like, yeah. I saw the Mothman too, because they just wanted to be a part of the story. That's It's motivated completely by that. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find us on the internet uh, in many places. You can find me at uh, heydavebaker.com, or you can find my books, Action Hospital, Fuck Off Squad, Night Hunters, Seven's Reckoning, a bunch of cool uh, signed copies of Seven's Reckoning up there right now if you want to get all four issues signed by... Yeah, boy. Andrew. Also, the uh, Mr. Treehouse Investigation Agency patch is also available on my website um, for five bucks. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me in the woods with my with my swinger wife and my, our two closest friends raw dogging the Mothman from all angles. And he, you know, he's got he's got everything. He's he's got he's got all. You know, let's just say that all four of us can have a go at the same time. 
And uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. It's a story about a futuristic robot detective solving crimes and dealing with the existential woes of being granted artificial intelligence and sentience without fully being acknowledged as a actual living entity in a in a world that uh, wants to capitalize off of the labor and benefits of artificial intelligence without acknowledging the sentience of creatures that are not human in origin. And you can also get the Deadbolt, or you can also get the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency patches from my website, as well as the official merch store on deepcutspod.com. This was fun. Let's do it again next week. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were going somewhere with that. Like, just the first time you've ever added anything onto the end of that, and it just ended immediately. <laughs> Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com. And the Dead Boy Detectives.